Hey, good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Good morning, good morning. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And I wanted to show you that video because Convoy of Hope is one of the partners that we, uh, or one of the organizations that we partner with throughout the year that we're able to do outreach ministry. When you, when you came in, if you're visiting for the first time, I've only been coming for a little while, there's some different pictures on the wall right here in the hallway that show all of the organizations that we partner with. And Convoy of Hope is one of them. And it's exciting to be able to know that they are already on the ground in Florida. Uh, I'm sure you've heard or at least um, had some type of information given to you in regards to Hurricane Ian and what happened in that area of Florida. And already Convoy Hope is bringing uh, water, bringing food. They're helping the families that are in need there. And here's what I want you to understand, that as you give to Victory, every month we have people that are faithfully giving. They're faithfully giving their tithes or in their offering to Victory Church. And because of that, we're able to partner with these different organizations. And so every year we make donations. We partner with Convoy of Hope. Uh, because of your faithfulness, we're able to give financially to Convoy of Hope. And here's the cool part of that. When something happens like the hurricane, you're able to know that your finances are going to help and support the people that are there. So if you've ever been sitting on the couch and seen that on the news or seen it on your phone and go, man, I wish I could help. Here's the confidence for you. You are helping. You are currently helping. Your finances are allowing us to give to Convoy of Hope, who are then taking those resources, and they're going out to Florida and, and really all kinds of different areas when um, certain disasters happen. And so I just want to say thank you to everybody who's supporting Victory. I want to encourage those of you that have been coming. You're a part of Victory. And you say, man, I've really been wanting to trust God with my finances, and I don't know how. You can do that through tithes and through offerings. Uh, as the video said, you can give through our website, you can give through our app, you can text to give, or you can, as you're walking out, there'll be a First Impressions team member there with a bucket. You can give cash or check in that way. But I just always like to take a moment and be able to share with you, you're seeing every Sunday where our finances are going to provide ministry weekly to kids and to you. But I also want you to know what's happening outside of the four walls and how it's impacting the community around us and ultimately the world through our missionaries and Convoy of Hope and things like that. Amen? Let me ask this real quick. Are you excited to be a part of a church that gives? Come on, come on. Being a part of a church that gives. I, I got the privilege to announce a couple of weeks ago um, that we have already given over 20 thousand dollars this year to different organizations and outreaches and I just think that's incredible to be such a young church who's getting their start and to be able to be that financially invested in the community is an awesome thing. I do want to remind you there's kind of a our little annual report and stuff out there at the Welcome Center. If you haven't got one of those, grab that on your way out and see what God has done just since we've been in this building since the end of April. Also want to take a moment and just kind of, again, highlight what Zoe said. Two things. One is that, that directory card you got. Do me a favor and fill that out for us so that we can get your information updated. Because when things start happening, here's what you're going to say. I didn't know. Well, how we couldn't tell you if we didn't have a way to contact you, right? And so update that information so that we can contact you. And then throughout this series, Living Room Leaders, I've really been challenging everybody to kind of take that next step. And so on that same annual report on the other side, there was kind of a ladder of things. There we go right here. And we were kind of challenging you saying, hey, where are you right now? Have you been attending Victory? Well, have you been baptized? We have a water baptism Sunday coming up soon. Uh, if you've been baptized, you've been saved, then what about growth track? Are you be able to get in growth track and start serving? If you're serving, what about a small group? What about leading a small group? And it's just an opportunity for us in this season to say, first of all, where am I right now? Where am I in serving in the church? Where am I as a part of victory? Where am I as a Christian? And then what can I do to kind of take that next step? Nobody's asking you to jump two or three or four steps ahead. 
But how can you take that next step in this season as we begin to get ready for the fall and all that God's going to do here through that season? So I want to encourage you to do that. As Zoe said, Grow Track is happening right after service. You'll see some signs directing you there uh, if you want more information about that. You ready for the word? All right, do me a favor. If you got your Bible, let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 8. You can put it on your phones. You can get your paper Bible, whatever it is that you want to use. Uh, as you're turning there, let me explain what we've been talking about over the past. This is now week number five. Um, when it's all said and done, I think there will be nine messages in this series that we're calling Living Room Leaders. And the whole vision behind this series is that you and I are, are leaders. Whether we are called a leader, we are naturally leaders. And so I'll give you some examples. For all of my students, you are leading in school. For all of my parents, you are leading your children. For all of my married couples, you are leading in your marriage. For those of you that are working, you're, you're leading in your workplace. And if somehow none of those apply to you, you are simply leading as a Christian. You are leading when you're out in public. I shared week one. You're leading by whether or not you return the shopping cart to where you got it. You know what I mean? Like every day you have an opportunity to lead. And people, if they know you're a Christian, they're watching you to see how you lead. And so I thought it was important in this culture and in this time uh, of, of our life that we're dealing with to kind of step back and say, how can we be leaders, not just in the workplace, but in our living rooms? And to do that, we needed to go back to the greatest leader to ever live, Jesus Christ. And we needed to see how he led and take those principles and not only lead like Jesus, but to live like Jesus. And so we've talked a lot. We've talked about how to live or how to lead during uncertainty. We talked last week how to lead with limitations. I want to encourage you, if you weren't here, go back and listen to that. It was a really encouraging Sunday for our church. Um, and this Sunday, I got a word that's real close to my heart that I want to share with you. But first, let's look at the scripture and go ahead and get the, the foundation set for today. So John chapter 8, verse 1, what we're going to read is part of a story that depending on how you were raised in church or not raised in church, you may be familiar with the story that is about a woman caught in adultery. Okay, so John chapter 8, verse 1 says, when Jesus, it says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and at dawn he peered again in the temple courts where all of the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. So Jesus is in the temple, and he's, getting, he's teaching. He's in the middle of teaching uh, the gospel, basically. And crowds are starting to gather around him. And it says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman that had been caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group, and then they said to Jesus, Now, guys, don't detach yourself from this, okay? This really happened. So they made this woman caught in adultery, stand in front of all of these religious people who are learning about the gospel, right? All these people that are listening to Jesus, they made, them, they made her stand in front of them, and then they say to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, in the act, and in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. In the law, it's, it's legal to kill her. Because she was caught in the act of adultery. So now, Jesus, what do you say? goes on to say they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him, Jesus. But Jesus then bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. So many people have debated what Jesus wrote. We'll, we'll never really know. But it goes on to say that when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, 
Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. We got a stoner, Jesus. The law says that she should be killed. And Jesus stood up and said, okay, do it. But the first one has to be someone who's never sinned before. And the Bible says that they go on to leave one by one. I want to talk to you for a moment from this idea. Leading between two extremes. How to lead your family, how to lead yourself, how, how, to, how to lead your, your, in your workplace, how to be a leader in between two extremes. Now, let me set context for this. Every one of us uh, have an opportunity or are faced with moments where we have to lead between two extremes. No matter who you are, no matter what avenue in which you're leading in, you are going to have a moment where you're going to have to lead whoever it is that you're leading in between two extremes. So let me give you some examples. Uh, as a parent, do you spank or do you not spank? <laughs> right? Don't answer. We don't want to cause any of that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's two extremes. Uh, do, do, you, do you homeschool or do you regular school? Right? It's two extremes. If you're trying to have children, do you keep trying to have kids or do you take time off? You know what I mean? Here's one that I'm currently getting ready to get into the season of. Date or don't date. Right? Like, do you let them date or do you let them not date? Uh, phone or no phone? You know what I mean? Like, like these, as a parent, these are just some of the extremes. Can I get an amen from my parents? Right? All, all of you suckers that are about to have kids, get ready. All right? Because it's coming where you're going to have to lead through these extremes. For those of you that are leading in your workplace, do you hire or do you fire? Do you invest or do you not invest? Do you climb the corporate ladder or do you not? Do you take vacation or do you work harder, right? Do you, do you work for the money or do you work for the purpose? Like, like there's all these different extremes that you're having to lead through as a student. All these extremes. Do I go to college or do I get a job? Do I go to college at home or do I go to college away? You see what I mean? Like we're constantly in 2020. Uh, we constantly had to do this mask or no mask. Vaccine or no vaccine. Uh, kids on uh, school online or kids school in person like like we're constantly finding ourselves in places where we had to lead in between two extremes on a daily basis listen to me you are being asked to lead in the middle of two extremes but the challenge is the pressure that's on you to pick a side the challenge that you're going to have while trying to lead through two extremes is going to be the pressure that's pushing you to one side or the other. I like what Martin Luther said, and he was quoted by saying that the devil doesn't care which side of the horse you fall off of as long as you don't stay in the saddle. The devil doesn't care which side you lean to in an extreme way. He just doesn't want you to have balance. He doesn't care if you go far this way or far that way. Because at some point, there's going to be some dysfunction in that. But he doesn't want you to be able to stay on the saddle. Now, Jesus was the greatest at leading between two extremes. Give you some examples. He had to lead Peter when one moment Peter was the building block for Christianity, and the next minute he was the stumbling block for Christianity. You know what I mean? One minute he's, I will build my church on you, and the next minute he's, get behind me, Satan. 
He had to lead in between that. Jesus had to lead in between the fact that one day he might be sitting at the table eating with religious leaders and the next day be sitting at the well with a prostitute. It's the leading in between two extremes. There'd be moments where he would be leading people that wanted to kill him and people who wanted to make him king. So Jesus was a master at leading in between two extremes. And listen to me, a little side sermon. Anytime you find yourself having to decide between two extremes, the best thing you can do is go to the word of God. The best thing you can do is lean on Jesus. Sometimes you're going to have to pick a side, I understand. But when that time comes, lean on God and let God help direct you on what side to choose. But that's not what the sermon is about. What the sermon is about is no matter what kind of leader you are, whether you are a leader as a parent, every parent, listen to me, whether you are leading in your marriage, every person in a relationship, listen to me, whether you are leading at your job, every boss, listen to me, whether you're leading in your school, every student, listen to me, the greatest extremes that you will ever be called to lead between, the two greatest extremes that you, no matter what scenario that you're leading in, that you're going to be called to lead in between is grace and truth. As a parent, the hardest two extremes that you will ever be asked to lead between is grace and truth. In your marriage, the hardest two extremes that you'll ever be called to lead between are grace and truth. Countless mistakes in marriage and in parenting and careers and even in ministry are failures to balance grace and truth. Sometimes we neglect them both, but often we choose one over the other. And so I want to take a moment and I want to do my best to teach you the importance of knowing how to lead between these two extremes, knowing how to balance both grace and truth. So if you're taking notes, get ready. Extreme number one is this, truth without grace. The first extreme, if you want to look at it uh, as you're looking at me over here that we're trying to lead in between, is this extreme of truth without grace. Let's go back to John chapter 8 and, and just look at this scenario. Understand that Jesus is in the middle of teaching at the temple. So imagine if right now, because technically uh, in modern day culture, I'm teaching at the temple. So I want you to imagine if right now, all of a sudden, somebody came in and brought up somebody who had been caught in sin and started pointing it out to everybody. Imagine this scenario, because if we're not careful, we'll read the Bible and just kind of read it and read right past it and never really let it grip into our heart. Jesus is teaching in the temple. And these men bust in and they bring this woman in front of him and they say, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And here's what they say. And according to the law of Moses, she should be stoned. Now, that is correct according to the law of Moses. But up to this point, no one had been stoned as or, or because of being caught in the act of adultery. And here's why. Because the amount of evidence that you had to have to be able to prove such act to justify a stoning was never able to be gathered. Obviously, 
I don't have to go into major detail. I think y'all can kind of put two and two together on why it would be so hard to gather evidence to prove this so that you could then stone these people. So it had never happened. It was a big, it was a law, but it not happened. And they walk in and they say, Jesus, this is what the law says. We need to stone her. What do you say? Listen to me. This was true with no grace. It was true. What they said was true. She had been caught in the act of adultery. The law did say she should have been stoned. That was true. But what they presented was truth with no grace. Listen to me. Truth is vital. It's vital to our life. Truth is vital. But truth without grace can just be mean. It can just flat out be mean. We've all, everybody in this room, we have experienced somebody, a leader in our life, maybe a boss, maybe a parent, who was all truth, no grace. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you, you would say, they, like, they, they say it like it is. Y'all ever heard that statement? They just keep it real. You know, with them, it's black and it's white. Like, like these statements that we would say to, to set up the scene that you're talking about a boss or a father or whatever the relationship is with this leader who great with truth, but no grace. And whenever somebody refers to that individual, they would always talk about them being mean, right? Because whenever you have truth without grace, it tends to come off mean. It's true, but the way you're doing it, minus grace, it just seems mean. Here's what I'm learning, that when our desire is to present truth without grace, when that's our passion, listen to me, not, not just an accidental thing. When we are passionate about pushing uh, truth without grace, it's often because we have an agenda. When, when we're doing it, it's because we're wanting to get a point across. It's because we're wanting to accomplish something. We're saying it to prove our point. Watch this. We are picking someone else's punishment, right? Why would we choose? Why would we be passionate about truth without grace? It's often because we have an agenda. And here's the agenda. The agenda is we have sin in our life, and if you will focus on what that person's doing wrong, then maybe you won't see what I'm doing wrong. In other words, we will dramatize their sins to downplay ours. This is often why anybody would be so passionate. Now listen, it's okay to, to enter into a moment of truth without grace by accident and then recognize it and fix it. But if we constantly push it, if that's constantly what we're trying to achieve is truth with no grace, then we can bet that if we will search ourselves, we'll find an agenda. There, there's some reason why we're doing this. Let me explain. For this woman to be caught in adultery, they would have had to catch her at night. They didn't present her in front of Jesus until the next day, which means that they caught the woman in the act of adultery, and then they kept her somewhere, <laughs> imprisoned, handcuffed, you know, whatever the monitored, watched over by guards, whatever the situation was. They kept her until the next day. Then they brought her all the way to the temple and waited to present her until Jesus was teaching. If their goal was to uphold the law, they could have done that the night before. But that wasn't their goal. Second thought, 
in order for a woman to be caught in adultery, do you know that a man also has to be caught in adultery? <laughs> right? But isn't it interesting that they didn't show up with the man? Just the woman. Again, why? Because they have an agenda. Did you notice where it said it's a trap? What they were trying to do is catch Jesus in a moment where he wasn't confident of what he was teaching. Because he had been teaching truth and grace. So they brought this situation. They caught her. They held on to her. They waited until Jesus was teaching. They brought just her. They showed up and presented her in front of Jesus, trying to catch Jesus in a trap. Some theologians say, listen to this, that the reason they didn't bring the man is because they probably got one of their men to entice this woman into adultery. In other words, it was a setup. In other words, they didn't bring the guy because the guy was a part of the plan to begin with. They set her, I'm not saying she wasn't already into that kind of lifestyle. I'm just saying to be in that house at that time for these religious leaders to catch her, it was a setup. They used him to set her up so they then could take her into the temple and set Jesus up. Then it hit me. You ready? Legalism is a setup. It's a setup. I'll go even as hard to say truth without grace is a setup. What does that mean? Listen to me. Truth without grace creates this impossible expectation that you and I could never succeed in, where we are destined to fail. So let me ask you like this. If we set up a scenario where we cannot win, but yet we are supposed to feel bad for losing. Isn't that a setup? Right? Like, like, if all of a sudden I came to you and I said, hey, I want to put, Caitlin, I'm going to use you for an example. I said, hey, I want to play basketball two on two. All right? So it's you and your mom versus me and LeBron James. Right? And I know that's the random illustration, but it's the only thing that came to my mind. You would call that a setup. Because clearly I have put her in a position where she cannot win. Right? But she's going to feel bad for losing. Why? It's the same concept. Legalism, truth without grace, is a setup. Because truth without grace is setting you up to a place where you are seeing all the things you're doing wrong, but yet ha have no idea how to fix it. Does that make sense? It's setting impossible expectations. Setting us up to fail. And it ends up leading to rebellion, not restoration. Truth without leads us to rebellion, not restoration. One, this was a couple years ago. Casey Ray was probably five years old at the time, maybe six, and we had had a huge Halloween deal where we had gone out and got a bunch of candy, and we had this big bucket of candy, so she had a bucket of candy, and Beta had a bucket of candy, and Casey Ray has a tendency to, to eat way too much candy, especially if it's accessible for her. And so we went and got the bucket, and we hid the bucket, and we said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put out a couple pieces of candy every day on the counter for you, and that's the candy you can have today. You can't have any more. Once that candy's gone, then you don't get any more candy today. So she's like, okay. 
So weeks go by, and we're doing this process. You know, we had the, the, the we, it, she knew where it was. It was on top of the refrigerator. She could get to it, but we trusted her, you know what I mean? Uh, and so, so, you know, we would go and get the candy and put it out. And we were doing this for weeks, but the thing that was weird is we kept looking in the bucket of candy going, I feel like there's less candy. Like every time we come to the bucket, there's like significantly less candy. We were like, I don't know if Veda's coming in and eating her candy, what's happening. So, so again, this was going on for, for days and weeks. One Saturday morning, I wake up to, to hearing noises that I believe was my kids being awake. And so I wake up and get them set, you know, and ready to go so I can kind of go back down and chill in the bed. And, and I go into the kitchen, and nobody's there. And I'm like, that's weird. So I go into the living room, and nobody's there. And I'm like, well, I could have swore I heard somebody. So I go up the stairs. I go into Veda's room. I open her door. She is sound asleep. And then I go over to Casey's room, and she's not in her room. She's not in her bed. And so I check the bathroom and she's not there and I check the little guest room and they're not she's not there and I go back downstairs and I'm looking in the living room I'm looking behind all the pillows I'm looking everywhere I can look the doors are locked from the inside so she didn't go outside and I'm walking around I'm just like where is Casey Ray and I'm standing in the kitchen literally Darla's still asleep and I'm like where is and I hear a noise coming from the cabinet down here on the bottom and I'm like that's strange so I walk over and I open up the cabinet and when I open up the cabinet, Casey Ray is sitting inside the cabinet with her tablet in her lap and candy wrappers piled up beside her. She has been eating all, and here was the, catch, the, the killer. She was eating the candy. She was doing this during the day. She had like all this candy wrappers to the side. She had been told she couldn't do it, so naturally she hid, right? Truth without grace doesn't make us better. It makes us better at hiding. Truth without grace doesn't make us better. It makes us better at hiding. When we're given truth without grace, all of a sudden what we're told is we're bad. But we're told we're bad without any real process to be able to change it. So it doesn't make us better. It just makes us better at hiding. Right? Which is why when we come into a church environment that is truth without grace... We'll put on a show. We'll pretend like we've got things going better than we actually do. Because truth hurts, but we don't really see how we could do anything about it. And so we just become better at hiding. There's a lot of people trying to live for Jesus, but they're hiding in the cabinets. Because they've been taught truth without grace. And truth without grace will not give you hope that you can change. It'll just cause you to look for ways to hide what you're struggling with. We need truth to reveal our sins, and we need grace to save us from them. We got to have truth because it's got to reveal the sins, but we need grace to save us from them. I was talking to Darla about today's sermon. We were kind of going back and forth, and she said, babe, she said, when you talk about grace, she said, it makes me think about someone doing one of those tight rope walking deals. And I was like, yeah, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know how they have like the pole that kind of balances them out as they're walking across the pole or across, walking across the rope? I said, yeah. She said, truth is like that pole. And she said, as we're walking through life, it just, it keeps us balanced. She said, but grace is the net that's there to catch us when we fall. And it was so profound. I was like, well, you should fly back and preach. You know what I mean? Like, why am I going back? Like, you should do it. Like, you know, but I just love that, that, that picture, that illustration where truth is the pole that we hold on to. Truth is what we need to balance us. What you need to balance you in culture today is truth. It reveals our sins. 
but we got to have the net to catch us when we fall, right? That's the grace. We need truth, but we need truth with grace. We got to be able to know that when that sin is revealed in our life, when we realize that this is wrong or a mistake, that there is hope for us. I, I was raised in a very religious environment. I watched many, 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 many examples of truth without grace. I watched many people walk away from church, still don't follow Jesus today because they experience truth without grace. I watched people come to church day after week after day after week and pretend like they were something that they weren't all because they were being given truth without grace. But can I tell you what's been interesting about it as I've seen it over my years is majority of the time, people who were communicating truth without grace, they really thought they were doing something right. They understood that truth needed to be spoken, but they didn't understand how to present it with grace. And so they really thought that they were helping the individual. You know, that individual can't keep on going that, like, and they started to present truth. And because of that, watch what's happened, is we have created two groups of people, two extremes, people who are all truth and no grace, and people who are all grace and no truth. And I want to talk just for a few moments to those that you tend to lean more truth without grace. I need you to understand something. Grace doesn't come at the cost of truth. I think for those of us that lean a little bit towards truth, we think that in order to give grace, we change truth. But, but grace doesn't come at the cost of truth. I love this. Grace doesn't have to dumb down truth to make it palatable. You don't have to take away truth to be able to enjoy grace. Grace isn't about God lowering his standards. That's not what it is, but I think that's what we've been taught. What grace is, is God fulfilling those standards. So when you hear truth and grace, it's not the gospel. It's not God lowering the standard. It's God fulfilling a standard that you and I would never be able to fulfill. So it's important that we don't lean towards the extreme of truth without grace. You have truth but you also have grace. Truth reveals sin. Grace saves us from it. Now here's the other extreme. First extreme is truth without grace. Here's the second extreme. The second extreme is, is grace without truth. Do you get it? So it's truth without grace over here, but now it's grace without truth over here. Let's go back to John chapter 8. So to catch you up in the story, Jesus has the woman stand up, or, you know, he, has the, he, he brings in all the accusers and says, okay, you can stone her, the first one that, ha that has never sinned, you can stone them. They all throw their rocks down. The Bible says they leave one by one by one. And then it says that in John chapter 8 that Jesus straightened up. So he, there was a moment where he's writing in the sand. So he stands up and he asks her, woman, where are they? Where are they? Where are your accusers? They're nowhere to be found. No one has condemned you. To which she says, no one, sir. Not a person. And then here's what Jesus says. Then neither do I condemn you. Grace. Neither do I condemn you. But then Jesus declared, watch this. So now go and leave 
your life of sin. Truth. Now this is interesting what's happening right here. Because Jesus is not dramatizing her shame, but he's also not downplaying her sin. Did you catch that? He said, I don't condemn you. In other words, I'm not dramatizing your shame. I'm not telling you you're this horrible person that's never going to be able to enjoy the blessings of God. I'm not saying any of that because of grace. But I'm also not going to ignore the fact that what you're doing is sin. I'm not going to downplay the sin. I'm going to be both and truth. Listen to me. If truth without grace is mean, then grace without truth is meaningless. If, if truth without grace is mean, and I think we all agree that it is, then grace without truth is meaningless. For example, we just talked about how the, the leader who is all truth, no grace, is mean, right? The parent who is all truth, no grace, comes off mean. Well, the leader or the parent who is all grace, no truth, doesn't have any impact. It's the parent who wants to be their child's friend. You know what I mean? Like, like we've all been there. Like, we all, we all know what we're talking about. Like, you're just their friend. You're not going to have, what's going to happen when you have to disagree with them? When I thought about a boss who was all grace, no truth, I thought about Michael Scott. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody here watch The Office? Y'all familiar with The Office? Like, he's always trying to be everybody's friend. Like, there's, it's really hard for him to put his foot down and to say, no, this, matter of fact, when you watch the show, if all of a sudden he gets serious, you get caught off guard. Because he's so quick to, be, to do whatever other people want to do. And when we're all grace, no truth, what ends up happening is we don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. We want to make everybody feel okay. We want to make everybody be our friend. And while we think that's working, it's not really impacting anything. Truth without grace is mean, but grace without truth is meaningless. The Christian life is not based on avoiding truth. Y'all need to hear that again. The Christian life is not based on avoiding truth. It's actually based on hearing truth and then submitting to it. And I'll even go this far, that the greatest kindness that you and I can offer to each other is truth when it's presented with grace. I think the greatest kindness, I'll give you some examples. Um, even though it's uncomfortable, even though you don't really like it when it happens, aren't you glad when somebody points out that you have something in your teeth? You know what I'm talking about? Like when, the, anybody ever had that happen? Anybody ever had somebody point out something in your teeth? Wow, some of y'all have never eaten food before. That's impressive. Um, Either that or you're just not participating with me this morning. And, and so, so listen to me. When that happens, in that, in that immediate moment, it's really awkward. You know what I mean? Like somebody's like, hey, you got, you got something. And like in that immediate moment, you're so embarrassed. You're like, oh, oh gosh. You know, because then what do you do, right? You like pick it out in front of everybody. Like do you excuse yourself and go to the bathroom? But so, so it was uncomfortable for a moment. But you're really glad it happened. Because what would have been worse is for you to get home that night after hanging out with all your friends and trying to spit game at that girl or holler at that boy or whatever the situation was, you get home and you look in the mirror and you got this big old piece of spring lettuce or whatever it is, leaf lettuce, right? You're right in your teeth. It's been awkward, right? So it's uncomfortable at first, but we're, we're glad. We're glad somebody did it. When somebody lets you know that the outfit you're wearing doesn't quite work for you, you know what I'm talking about? 
I, I put on a shirt the other day. I walked into the, the hallway. We were getting ready to go somewhere. And my uh, 12-year-old daughter walked out, and she said, that shirt does not slay. <laughs> Took me like an hour to figure out what she was even talking about. You know what I mean? I'm like, what does that even mean? You know, I'm just like processing all this. And I was like, well, first of all, let's get something straight. What you think is slay is not what I think is slay. And I said, you look like you came right off the Sandlot baseball field right now. We just started checking each other. It was great. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of truth with no grace right there in that situation. But, but you know, when there's moments where whatever you, you know, you might put something on. I'm not giving any more details than that. But you just shouldn't wear it, you know. And somebody lets you know, hey, you probably shouldn't wear that. And in that, in that immediate moment, it's, it's embarrassing. It's like, but you're really glad that you didn't go all day in that outfit and end up in somebody's Instagram picture, you know what I mean? In that outfit. Like, it's uncomfortable at first, but you're glad it happened. And this is what truth, real truth is. It, it's uncomfortable for a moment, but, but you're glad it happened. Like, I need it. It, it may not always be comfortable to hear it, but I need it. Listen to me. Some of us in this room, it's not comfortable to hear it, but we need it. And this interaction between this woman and Jesus is so powerful when you study it. When Jesus says to her, go and sin no more, he's not saying walk out of here and never sin again. Because clearly that's impossible. What he's doing, lean into this, listen to me, what he's doing is revealing to her that she has hope that she will not be imprisoned to this sin for the rest of her life. She has been trying to walk away from this lifestyle on her own for a long time to no success. And so everybody has either condemned her with truth, no grace, they have, you know, invited her presence with grace and no truth. And Jesus gives her both. Jesus says, I'm not going to condemn you, but listen to me. You don't have to be imprisoned to this. You can be set free. He, he brings her hope, something she's never had. So truth, when done right brings hope. Truth without grace is hopeless. Truth with grace is hopeful. And so when, when it comes to a time where we're hearing truth, yes, it may be uncomfortable, but you need it. Listen, somebody told you that relationship ain't the right relationship. You didn't want to hear it. Guess what? You needed to hear it, right? Somebody told you them group of people you were hanging out with weren't the group of people you shouldn't have been hanging out with. It was not comfortable to hear, but you needed to hear it. Truth is uncomfortable, but we need it. But let me just get on a soapbox for just a minute. In our culture today, what we have done is we have gotten truth twisted. We have taken actual truth and we have twisted it in a way based off of what culture is telling us. So watch this. Now, because of the way truth has been presented with no grace, we know what we're doing is wrong, but we also know that we can't fix it, right? Like, like, like when you bring me truth with no grace, I am now revealed, I now have revelation that what I'm doing is wrong, 
but I also know that I can't do anything to fix it. So what do we do when we are in the middle of a situation that we know is wrong, but we don't know how to change it? And when truth comes without grace, or grace comes with no truth, and we find ourselves in a situation that we know, that we know is wrong, but we don't know how to fix it, truth starts to feel more like being imprisoned than it does being set free. Am I right? There comes this moment where the more you give me truth, it's just like you're putting more shackles on me. But at the same time, if you ever give me is grace, then I'm sitting in a prison and there's a key in the door where I could leave. But because of the miscommunication of it, truth becomes guilt. And when we allow truth to become guilt, we start making up our own truth. Now, y'all got to catch this. When we see truth as guilt, we start replacing real truth with our own truth. I was watching this Netflix documentary about this football player, Manti Teo. I don't know if y'all have seen this. this he was a football player, and uh, he got catfished by somebody. It's a pretty phenomenal story. But he said something during the documentary that I had heard before in another documentary that I had watched about social media and those kind of things. And it was the concept, they were talking specifically about Facebook, that when you create your profile in Facebook and you put all the things that you like and you start to kind of define that you're a Christian or that you might, you might lean this way politically or whatever, that then Facebook knows what you believe. So everything that they feed you is what you believe. And because you think you are on a worldwide uh, social media outlet, you start to think that everybody believes like you because it's all you see. Meanwhile, somebody who has different beliefs than you is being fed every, all these other different truths, right? And all the people that believe like that, they're getting their information. And so here's what's happened. We've gotten to a point in our culture where we don't like truth because truth makes us uncomfortable. So we rewrite truth to make us comfortable. You know what I mean? Like, like when you say that, it makes me uncomfortable. It's good for me, but it makes me uncomfortable. So let's rewrite it. Let's edit it so that it doesn't make me uncomfortable and I can just stay where I am. Can I ask you a question? If we could subpoena the, the woman caught in adultery and bring her up on the stage and say to her, we're going to give you two options. We can either change truth to where adultery is okay and you can walk out of here and keep doing what you're doing and keep feeling like you're feeling or we can continue in the truth that is God and you can be changed. Which do you prefer? Which do you think she picks? We're in a culture that's saying to us, we can either change truth so that you don't feel uncomfortable and so that you can continue to move forward in what you're doing and it feel okay or we can stand on real truth and be changed now I get it you've been presented truth with no grace and that's why every Sunday I do everything I can to preach grace from this pulpit because especially in the South, most of us have heard more truth without grace. 
than grace without truth. But I wouldn't be doing my job if I don't stand up here and tell you the importance is the balance. It's important for us to balance it out. Look at it like this. If we minimize grace, the world will have no hope for salvation. If we minimize truth, the world will see no need for salvation. You know what I mean? Like, if we're all truth and no grace, then all we're doing is telling you where you're wrong, but giving you no hope to be better. Right? All we're doing is pointing out your faults and condemning you. And you're getting up and you're walking out thinking, well, I'm a terrible person. What am I going to do? That's truth without grace. Grace gives you hope that you can be saved and restored. But if we, if we have all grace and no truth, then aren't we creating a culture where we don't need God? Aren't we creating a culture where everything we do is fine, so why do we even need to be saved? And that's why Jesus was so good about being in the middle. Because he wanted to be able to reveal sin with truth, but he wanted to be able to give hope for sin with grace. Think about it like this. When we remove truth, we remove urgency from the gospel. Urgency from being saved. And thereby, we keep people from grace. When we remove truth, we no longer need to be saved. Am I right? When all of a sudden everything that we do is okay, then we don't need to be saved. And by needing to be saved, we lose an urgency for the gospel. Why would people not be running to Jesus? Because they do not realize that in Jesus is grace. They don't realize that in him is hope. They think, my goodness, they think that if they darken the doors of a church, they're going to find out is how bad of a person they are. But Jesus said, I'm truth and I'm grace. You come in and I will, by the Holy Spirit, point out what's not right. But by the grace of God, you will be delivered from it. There is hope for it. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. Grace and truth is medicine. Medicine. For whatever it is that you're dealing with, truth and grace is medicine. There's some people in this room that your biggest struggle right now is there's no grace. You got enough truth, but you need grace. Then there's some people in here that you got all the grace, but you just need some truth. And when you have truth and grace, it's perfect. John chapter 1, the same book we've been reading all of these Jesus leadership traits out of. John sets back and he writes, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Jesus was not 50% grace and 50% truth. 
he was 100% grace and 100% truth. He never watered down the truth and he never turned down the grace. He called sinners, sinners, and then he died for their sins. This is the Jesus we live for. This is the Jesus we serve. I was studying some more about Jesus talking to these particular guys that had kidnapped, or not kidnapped, had, had caught her and brought her in, sorry. I'm watching too much Netflix, I guess. And he makes this comment, let the first one to throw the stone be one who's never sinned before. And the more I studied it, the concept came up that here's what he was really saying. If you want to return to the law of Moses, you got to return to that law across the board. In other words, if we're going to give truth without grace, then we can't get grace. Right? If we're not going to give grace towards somebody else, then we don't get grace. It doesn't work that way, where we can have grace for our sins but not give it out to somebody for theirs. And at the same time, we can have grace, but if we don't have truth, we'll just go on sinning. That's what Paul said. He said eventually grace will become like a crutch. That's not what it should be. There should be opportunity for hope from our sins and salvation from a sinful life. A great starved, truth-starved world needs Jesus who is full of grace and truth. Let me share your story, I'll let you go. I had the privilege to be at the beach this past week with my family, and my oldest and I are spending some time together and we're in the ocean. She has her goggles, but she doesn't have them on. And we're out playing, she's about chest high, I'm about waist high in the water. And we're looking, you know, the water is super clear, and we're seeing jellyfish, just little jellyfish kind of around us. And I don't play with things that can hurt me. And so, you know, I'm just kind of dancing around them, you know, and she's doing her own thing. And she's like, are, you know, are they bad, Dad? And I'm like, no, they're the little ones. Don't worry about them. And she's like, all right, you know, I'm going to go I'm gonna go swim. I said, okay. So she puts her goggles on, and she goes into the ocean water. And I see her go down. And then all of a sudden, she pops back up. And she goes, Dad, Dad, they're all around me. And I was like, what? And she's like, literally, I went down, and I looked. She's I am surrounded buy jellyfish. Watch this. So she said, I'm not going to take another step. I'm not going to take another step. She just stood like this in the ocean. Jellyfish all around her. And I'm telling you the story in pieces because I got to tell you what God told me later. God said, that's truth. She went down and had revelation that she was surrounded by something that could hurt her. She came out of the water and her decision was, I'm not going to move any further. That's what truth does. Truth does not come to condemn. Truth is revelation from the word of God. That the path that you and I are on, if we keep going, we're going to get hurt. And so what we need to do is just stop. Just stop. Now back to the story. She goes, Dad, Dad, I can't move. She said, Dad, help me. Anytime my baby girls say help me, I never, I never move so fast in ocean water. You know what I'm talking about. I, I was like, oh, get out. 
I didn't even care. I didn't know where. I wasn't like, well, hold on. Let's see where the jellyfish are. You know, like I reached over. I picked her up out of the water, turned around, and I was walking with her like David Hasselhoff from Baywatch. You know what I mean? I know young, young folks, y'all don't know who that is. But I was just walking through, got her back to the water. She runs up. She tells Darla's parents and Darla what happened. And later on in the day, God said, that's grace. Truth is, I can't go any further because I'm surrounded by things that might hurt me. Grace says, don't worry, I'm coming for you. I will pick you up out of where you are, and I will take you back to where you can go again. That's grace and truth. Grace and truth. How stupid would it have been for her to go down and see the jellyfish? Well, I can see y'all a lot better like this. And be like, ah, whatever. You know what would have happened? Because I watched it happen to another person. Because everybody was like, watch out for the jellyfish. Watch out for the jellyfish. This one girl, she went trotting in there. I heard her say, I don't care. Ten minutes later, she came out. She was like, I think I got stung. I think I got stung. Is that not what we do? Oh, goodness, these jellyfish. Ah. Oh, I got stung. <laughs> right? Oh, I lost it. Oh, I'm getting into, like, whatever the, the result is of our sin, we're confused by it. We're surprised by it. But truth says, stop where you are. Stop. Don't move another step forward. Stop. Where you are could hurt you. But truth without grace leaves you there. It leaves you there. But Christ died on a cross so that he could come and swoop you up. Amen? Do me a favor, stand with me this morning. This is certainly a principle that you need as a Christian. You need to know how to balance truth and grace. But you also need it as a mom. Am I right? You also need it as a husband. You also need it as an employee. You also need it as a boss. How do I get in that middle? How do I balance grace and truth? To every person in here that leans a little bit more towards truth, listen to me. Embrace grace. For every person that has gotten away from truth and you're all grace, return to truth. Because you need them both. You need truth to tell you to stop swimming towards the jellyfish. And some of you, that's what's happening today. This is God's word for you, to stop swimming towards jellyfish. But here's the most beautiful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ, is in the past when you were told to do that, you know, when I first got saved, y'all bear with me for a second. When I first got saved, people would start telling me I got to stop listening to, to secular music. You know what I mean? I had Eminem. I had uh, uh, John B. was one of my favorites. I had Usher. And I'm like, what? What does that even mean? Like, you, you want me to go, first of all, I was like, if I get rid of my music, then what am I going to listen to? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not listening to Christian rap. Have you guys heard it? Like, oh, my goodness. But, you know, it was, it was all truth. 
that was graceless. That, 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 that concept wasn't what was going to change my life. My problem wasn't secular music. My problem was lost heart. You know what I mean? They were coming at me with the wrong different angles. And sometimes in my early years as a Christian, I felt like I was surrounded by jellyfish. And I knew it because everybody was telling me. But I didn't have anybody to help me out. You know what I mean? Like I was just stuck here. But the more that I study Jesus, he's the one that comes and swoops us up. He's the one who rescues us when truth reveals sin. Can I pray for you this morning? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I need the Holy Spirit to really move in this place this morning. Father, I pray right now. I'm not really sure what all I've said. I'm not sure how it's been received. But I know that according to your Bible, you are 100% truth and you are 100% grace. And I pray that we'd begin to live our life by this. For every person that feels like truth is just attacking them and leaving them hopeless, I pray they would be able to understand your grace. For every person who has silenced truth, taken on grace, but because of that, they haven't really experienced a life change. I pray they would take on your truth. I, I try to say this every Sunday, Father. I can preach your word, but I can't change lives. But everybody in this place right now that has maybe experienced one extreme or the other, I pray that right now they would feel the pres presence of God on their heart on their life, revelation of truth and grace. Person in here that feels like they've been attacked, who's felt more legalism and religion, I need you to hear there's grace. There's grace to pick you up, to help you. the individual that feels like they are going through the same thing and not experiencing change. There's truth that changes you. And both come from Jesus Christ. If you're in this place and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you can do that this morning. The Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, and you shall be saved. All you have to say is, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner but I believe that you died for my sins and I ask you to come into my heart and save me today. The Bible says you'll be saved. Anybody in this place that's kind of walked away from God, you can return right now to the God who is truth 
and grace.